The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests that appear. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Two Millennials, One Podcast. Right now, that name is a blatant lie because you are sitting here with one millennial and one podcast. Regrettably, my esteemed co-host, Abby, has to take a leave of absence. Uh, So this episode, you will get a 100% version uh, provided by your host, Ethan Gable. In the meantime, we will be sure to get some other millennial hosts lined up. We actually do have some lined up that weren't able to make it into the studio today. Uh, but we'll get them here as long as Abby has stepped away. That being said, we definitely point out that Abby is still the co-creator and the permanent host of this show, and we hope that she'll get back here soon. In the meantime, if you do enjoy this podcast, two hosts or one host or non-regular host or revolving hosts, either way, please feel free to subscribe. The first episode had pretty good reviews. I was impressed with how many of you guys checked us out. Right now, we are available on the Apple iTunes uh, app as well as the Apple Podcast app, iTunes in general. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We are on CastBox, and we're working to get on Spotify and some other outlets. So feel free to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Today's topic is about social media. I think I'm a decent person to speak on the topic, not to toot my own horn or anything, but I I did grow up, for the most part, the majority of my adolescence was without social media. I know what it was like before, and I know what it was like after, and there's only a small band of years that got to experience it in that manner, uh, as far as about half your life with, half your life without. My first social media exposure, I suppose, was through Instant Messenger, uh, MSN and Yahoo, uh, AOL Instant Messenger, to throw it way back. That was a form of social media that a lot of people used, and I'm talking like middle school age or in what, 2002, 2003. Uh, And that was really starting to use the internet for communication platforms and I don't have to wait until the next day to talk to my friend at school. I could just hit him up on AOL that evening. Uh, So that was really a a change, that ability. I mean, that was the end of talking to your friends on the phone. That still happened from time to time. But for whatever reason, humans like to uh, send messages. We like to text. And uh, that was definitely a form of that that we engaged in. That shifted rather quickly. I mean, within a few years, we started getting into to blogging, which for the most part had been around for a while. But when teenagers grabbed hold of it, it definitely became more of a social outlet. We would blog, we would post about our day and they would comment and we'd get a back and forth system on there as well. The blog of choice for my little generation, my band of the millennials was Zanga. I don't know if the younger end of the millennials, I should say, know what that is at all. Uh, but Zanga was just pretty much your own blog. You had an option to post. You could post a song that you were listening to. Granted, you couldn't play the song on the platform, but you could at least list one. You had a space to type and you'd post. It was like an online journal, essentially. you post about your day or post about your feelings, that type of thing. So that was our really first, our first exposure of putting things on the internet for people to read. The thing that Zanga had that a lot of things have now, obviously, there wasn't a like button, but there was a e-props button. So like electronic props. I'm going to give what you wrote Props, electronically. We, 
for the most part, didn't care about that too much. Yeah, you would hit that button if you read something fantastic, but that didn't define posts. That didn't define your idea of worth or acceptance, which we'll get into, but that's obviously a bigger component these days. After Zanga, I mean, that had a pretty good run. Uh, eventually, they shut that down. I think I was in college and they were sending out emails like, hey, if you want your posts, download them because they're getting deleted, which is probably for the best. The amount of cringe that is kept in Zanga would make a good portion of the millennial generation shudder, I'm sure. After that, I mean, around my the end of high school in 2007, you had Apple release the iPhone and clearly apps took some time, but that got the ball rolling. I guess even a step before that, you had Facebook released, which uh, I remember my first interaction with Facebook. I had a lot of older friends, and by the time I was probably a sophomore or junior, they they were in college and they were coming back to visit, and I'd be hanging out with them. I remember vividly, they're like, hey, check this website out. It's called Facebook. And I mean, it was literally just a picture of you, and you had your wall, and you could interact through that. Like, very basic Facebook. In fact, it was the Facebook, and even the status Ethan Gable is. You had to be crafty. It wasn't just like, let me put an emoji or let me uh, type out some big thing. Obviously, you're not bound by your name anymore, but uh, if you wanted to be angsty or emo, you had to really construct some interesting sentence structures to work with that is, which the younger end of the millennial generation has no idea. Uh, they don't know that pain. Uh, but yeah, Facebook came out and that changed a lot of things. The college kids were excited about it once that rolled out. And then one day they decided that... Uh, High school kids can have it too. So it got rolled out and everyone got one. I believe I was one of the first people in my high school peer group that had a Facebook just due to my college friend showed me and I was pretty on top of that. So let's see what this is. 2017, I've had a Facebook for 11 years now. And that is kind of weird on your Facebook look back or on this day type of deal. There are a lot of cringy 11-year-old things posted, um, and I'm thankful for that feature on Facebook now because I systematically delete everything on this day. None of it's criminal, but it, I mean, looking back at 16, 17-year-old version of yourself, that, that can be cringy. So I definitely get that cleaned up. Yeah, so Facebook's around and people are typing on each other's walls and they're taking all that, the angst that you would leave and like your name on MSN Messenger and they're making it their status and uh, yeah, that was the the first glimpse of where we were headed for sure as a society um, and this dependence on social media that was developed. Used Facebook all through college. I still have my Facebook. I have ratcheted my use down significantly. And that seems to be a trend. Uh, you will read on Reddit a lot, which is now like what I devote my time to, sadly. Uh, that if you ditch Facebook, you are way happier as a human. And I can see why. I, I see a lot of people getting their worth tied up in uh, things that don't matter, specifically likes and hearts and retweets and reposts. And that's, that's a phenomenon of the millennials. We, even as an old millennial, and I see this a lot in my students as young millennials, we're tied to that, to the extent of you post a picture and it... So not getting enough likes for the time frame that it's been posted, so you delete it. That is a problem. That is something that exists that we're so tied to acceptance through the internet that we'd be willing to pull something off. Anyone can relate to this. You 
are doing something cool and you have your phone out so you can capture a picture of it and put it online. Some aspects of that, you want to share that experience with others. You're, you're looking for that attention. It's an instant boost of attention. The millennial generation as a whole is pretty uh, isolated. Technology, some tool that exists that should build bridges and open up the universe for communication is kind of put us in our box where we will sit on the couch for hours and watch Netflix and tweet away and Instagram post and everyone likes it and that's our self-worth and we go to bed. We should go to bed, hypothetically. I hear all those studies now and I see, again, see this in my students of can't get off the phone at night and then complain about sleeping and figure out why we can't fall asleep. Well, it's because you're staring at a glowing screen. Get your mind all triggered. It's hard to sleep. Ultimately, we're, we're going to have to bounce back from this. We're kind of deep in this hole, and this can get really preachy, this subject. And I don't mean to sound like a Luddite, but it has not made my life better as far as the social media aspect. Technology as a whole, yeah, the fact that I do not have to ride my horse to work, as fun as that would be, I do appreciate that. But technology and the social media aspect of that, that drives anxiety. That drives depression. That drives low self-worth. And study after study is showing this, and school teaching as a whole, again, is behind the curve on this. We're just now waking up and being like, huh, why are our students apathetic? Why are they not motivated? Why don't they do their homework? Why are they self-harming? Why are they chronically depressed? Why are they not showing up to school? And technology is a, lar a large part of that. Social media is a large part of that. You hear bullying and you can't tweet anything that was too harsh or post a Facebook post that is critical of anyone. Not that you should be doing those things in the first place, but everyone's hyper aware of what's on the internet. We're so in tune to that. Whereas if you are someone that doesn't have Facebook and you say that like you're the outcast and that's the weird thing. In our society, we're going to have to pull back from that. And I think everyone realizes that, but I think we're truly afraid of doing that, which is odd. Me personally, I need to do it as well. I wouldn't say that my self-worth is entirely tied up in social media, but it does feel good. I like to post a song on YouTube and immediately have eight likes, which for some rando guitarist in the middle of Missouri... That's a win. Like, I'll take that. And it feels good. It's like a affirmation that you made something nice. Like, I do enjoy social media for that feeling. I climb a mountain and I post a picture of me on top of the mountain. I think that's cool. I like to share that. Um, if that gets two likes, does that hurt my feelings? Nah, not really. If that gets 100 likes, does that make me feel cool? Kind of. Yeah, it does. Um, I appreciate knowing that people are like, hey, you did something cool. Which... Is probably the problem. I should not be compelled to post anything on social media. But yeah, I, I can personally admit that I am somewhat tied up in social media. I like to write a witty tweet. I like to put something on Facebook that gets people discussing and commenting. And for the most part, I try to use that in a positive light. But yeah, at the end of the day, I'm talking to people less. I'm living online. I'm not hanging out with friends as much. Everything is so online and you can get it accomplished there. Uh, you're losing those social interactions, which cannot be good for a species such as humans. Like I said, these studies are coming out and you're seeing that this is not the best route to take. So there will be a pullback at some point uh, or we're going to become just mindless, self-obsessed people that don't leave their houses. Uh, my biggest problem with social media as a teacher 
and this just goes for everything, is just the constant watch you have to be on because you're somewhat in the public eye. Teachers are in no way celebrities of any sort, but after you've taught for a few years and you have directly interacted with, I don't know, 600, 700 students and their parents and you've coached and you've done these things, uh, that somewhat puts you on a map. And the cost of that is you have to be on your best behavior at all times. And this is true for students as well. They, you, you have to be super careful of what you put online. And those are good life lessons. That was not something that was ever taught to me in high school. Not that it needed to be. I think I'm rational enough to be like, oh, I should not post this. Uh, but at the same time, that was not beat into you. That we're on a new frontier of everyone micro-analyzing every thought because we post every thought. Honestly, I get myself into trouble far too often. I am pretty sarcastic. I'm pretty sassy. I think I have a certain level of wit. You may disagree with that, but I'll post some thoughts. I'm pretty opinionated. I will tell you what I think. And the amount of times that I've had to redact or pull off something off the internet since I started teaching is insane. Uh, some of it I catch, and again, I'm not trying to be cause problems or stir the pot. Uh, I'll just post something innocuous and then someone will be like, oh my goodness, you hurt my feelings or you hurt my kids' feelings or this isn't appropriate. Yeah, and I get to pull it off and it's it's kind of shameful. And you think I would have learned by now, but we're to the stage of you can almost post nothing that won't offend somebody. And again, being a teacher and being in the, the extreme public eye, every move is watched, it's documented. For example, the a uh, couple years ago, I tweeted that the Republican National Convention and the state or the county fair rather are this week. Great, two opportunities to feel shameful and dirty. That was a flippant tweet, like an extremely flippant tweet. Is it slightly offensive? I guess if you want to take it as something offensive, you could. I mean, the Republicans were about to nominate Donald Trump, which I will stand by as shameful and dirty. And that's my political opinion, and I'm okay with expressing that. I feel like I should be able to. And then the state fair, I mean, that's, or the county fair, rather, sorry, is legitimately dirty. Like, it's in dirt. That was viewed as very classist and disrespectful to farmers. And, in fact, uh, someone called me un-American or anti-American. I can't remember which one it was because of that tweet. And, again, it was mostly a joke. I don't like that I can't be as blatant with what I post on social media. Again, why am I doing the posting at all? That is a whole discussion on its own. Uh, but I feel like I should possess the right to speak freely on the internet and not have my career tie that down. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. You see sometimes that like, I mean, this, I can't really tie the two together, but a uh, Burger King worker is jumping up and down on the buns in the back and they post that to Twitter and they get fired. Like that, I can see. It's like damaging property. Uh, I suppose my equivalent would be uh, I post something on Instagram. I'm, I don't know, lighting fire to notebooks in school. That I could see. But sharing a political opinion, I'm, I promise I'm not indoctrinating your children. I'm not getting up there in the middle of math class and being like, hey, Donald Trump sucks. Yeah, I I get that teachers are on a pedestal and we've got to behave, but I should be able to tweet something flippant and not have to pull it down under fear of getting fired. I was watching an interview with one of the, it was either an early investor or one of the 
early participants in Facebook and they were absolutely ripping the concept, something they had a hand in creating. Now, all these years later, 11 years, 12 years later, have realized what it has done to our children, what it has done to our youth, what it has done to the millennial generation. All right. So this guy, his name's Shamath Palihapitiya. Sorry if I butchered that. Uh, he was a vice president uh, at Facebook from 2007 to 2011. And uh, he's quoted as saying, it literally is a point now where I think we've created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. That is truly where we are. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. And it's not an American problem. This is not about Russian ads. This is a global problem. That's an interesting take. And as an educator, we definitely see that. Kids don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to express their opinion. They can easily get on YouTube and comment these vile, filthy things, but they don't know how to handle issues. They don't know how to handle interpersonal conflicts because they grew up exhibiting or practicing those skills on their phones versus face-to-face. And that, that that's pretty telling. I mean, I completely agree, and I'm such a hypocrite because I have all the social media apps. I have no one on most of them. I follow four people on Twitter. I have like 40 Facebook friends. I have two people on Snapchat, that type of thing. I don't use them for a lot, just mostly to talk to the people that I truly care about. So totally hypocritical, but I get it. I get the need to delete these apps. We do not need to be on Facebook. We do not need to post pictures on Instagram. I do not need to Snapchat people a little picture for 10 seconds or less. What's the good in that? Can we just call people and talk to them civilly or like maybe meet up face to face? And I get this social media thing is a a cure for long distance friendships and relationships. And I see it in that aspect. But the the texting people from across the room thing that occurs, that's not good for us. Not good for us at all. Other social media things, the just an annoyance, all of the social media apps featuring stories, I guess, like stealing the Snapchat thing as far as hold here and see whatever this person is doing. Like the fact that Facebook has it and Instagram has it and yeah, I don't know. Why do we all have to steal that? Are they bringing back Vine? I wish I had someone here that could tell me that. Uh, Actually, I may have someone here to tell me that. I'm going to try to get my little brother who is a millennial of millennials uh, on the line here, and we will see if they're bringing back Vine. I imagine he would know. All right, uh, we're joined here with my my little brother Grant, who is a proud millennial, uh, a little later in the line of millennials than I was, but uh, I'm sure he can bring an interesting perspective to this discussion. Uh, so, Grant, uh, what was your first interaction with social media that you can recall? Um, my first social media experience would definitely be uh, a YouTube account back in like 2010 that I wasn't supposed to have and I don't think I got Facebook until 2013 but I would say Facebook was like the first actual social media I used I never I don't have to get to be though even though all my friends had it Interesting. Yeah, YouTube's definitely a social media platform that I think most people ignore. I would not ignore using for sure, but uh, don't necessarily group in there with like Twitter and Facebook. As far as you currently, as a somewhat grown up millennial, uh, what social media platforms do you regularly use, if any? I very, very, very rarely get on Twitter. Um, I don't 
Twitter. Um, I use Tumblr a fair amount, but that's a very social media. Like you tend not to follow your friends on it or anybody you know. Um, so Facebook is definitely the number one that I use now. What about Reddit or are you still big in YouTube? the deal with YouTube comments? Why are those always like the most racist, vile things? What has happened to YouTube? That is very profound. That honestly is probably it. Like most rational people would never type a YouTube comment. I think you've hit the nail on the head. We'll have a couple more questions. Are they bringing Vine back? What's the deal with that? Absolutely. I would be excited for Vine, too. I, I probably would join Vine the second time around, even though I ignored it the first time. Uh, I, guess, I guess for the final question, uh, do you feel that social media uh, is hurting society? Is our dependence on it a bad thing? exactly right. Uh, the echo chamber phenomenon of the internet is not good. It cannot be good. All right. Uh, that was pretty insightful. Glad I called him up. Uh, yeah, it, I, I completely agree with that. He had uh, a good point there about what, what that's doing to society. It's getting us angsty. We're seeing a lot of 
opposing viewpoints and opposed to working together and coming up with solutions. We just type and type and type mean things. Wrapping this up, I just want to go on record and say I'm not completely anti-social media. I think there's a lot of good that comes from it, but moral of the story, uh, humans should probably back off on that. We need less. It's true for anything. Everything, for the most part, is healthy in moderation. Besides, like, radioactive poisoning, crystal meth. Yeah, there are some things that aren't okay in moderation, but most things are, and I think social media falls into that bucket. All right, now for our song pick of the week. I remember talking to Abby earlier this week, and she said that her song pick would be a tune by the band Newfound Glory, which very popular back in my youth, and I'm happy to see a youngster listening to them. Uh, but the track is Kiss Me, which is a cover of a song by Sixpence None the Richer, which I doubt she knew. Uh, but it's a good jam, and I'd encourage you all to check it out on her behalf. Uh, my song is a song called Pushing Daisies by the Castle Walls. Uh, another great tune. If you're into the indie, almost folk type of music, uh, that's worth checking out. All right. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Like I said earlier, if you enjoy them, please subscribe uh, and share it with your friends. We will be back next week with a rather exciting guest host. And hopefully the week after that, we'll get our, uh, our permanent host, Abby, back. Peace out.